Well, good morning. It's uh, wonderful to, to be gathered again, and we're going to be starting a new series this morning. Uh, we're going to be studying the book of Chronicles. Uh, maybe you say, well, aren't there two books of Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles? Well, uh, originally, there's only one book of Chronicles. Uh, if, you, if you have a, an Orthodox Jewish friend and you ask him how many books of Chronicles are there, they'll say there's only one. Uh, in the, the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, uh, has less books than we have, but you don't need to worry. The content is exactly the same. It's just that um, books like First uh, and Second Kings are put together, First and Second Chronicles are put together. So we're going to study Chronicles, so First and Second Chronicles, Lord willing. And you might say, why? Why the book of Chronicles? Well, we do like to alternate between uh, New Testament and Old Testament. There are many churches that uh, really de-emphasize the Old Testament, ignore the Old Testament, and that's a serious mistake. Uh, it is one book, and you won't understand the end of the story if you don't understand the beginning of the story. And so uh, we need to understand the whole story for the richness of the end to make sense. Uh, but why Chronicles specifically? Uh, well, over my sabbatical, I was, I was studying the book of Chronicles for my own devotions, and I just saw that uh, it's really a book that has been neglected. Uh, if you've read through the Bible, you've probably read you know, Samuel and then Kings, and then you start reading Chronicles, and it starts with nine chapters of genealogies. And so already you're sort of like, yeah. <laughs> let me move on to something else. Uh, and then maybe you start reading and you realize, wait, I know this story. I've read this already in Samuel and Kings. And that's why it's been neglected. And even if you go and search for people who, for sermons uh, through Chronicles, you'll find there's, there's a lack of resources. Uh, but I do enjoy tackling the books that others uh, leave. Uh, and so I think uh, we'll enjoy our time in Chronicles. It is really, I've learned so much. It is a glorious book and has much to teach us and much to show us about Christ. And uh, as I said, it begins with nine chapters of genealogies. Uh, so we're going to cover all nine chapters in one session. We're not going to read through it. So you, know, you can relax. Uh, we're not going to go through all of those names. Uh, it is quite interesting to go through it. I think you can see where people like Tolkien and Rowling you know, found names for their characters as you read through uh, all, of these, all of these Old Testament names. Um, but what is the author doing? Why does he spend all this time, all this space? Uh, remember, scrolls were very valuable. Why does he spend all this time, all this space uh, giving us all these genealogies? Well, some context... Uh, Chronicles is written after the exile into Babylon. So uh, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament story, God called a man called Abraham uh, to start a new nation, the nation of Israel known as the people of God through whom the Messiah would come. And God gave them his law and his covenants. And he said, I love you and I want you to live like this in response to my love and my deliverance. Remember, he delivered them out of slavery and gave them the promised land, as we've been reading in Joshua and, and seeing all the, the areas that were given to the children of Israel. But the Lord also said, if you don't obey me, I'm going to raise up enemies. And if you continue in rebellion, eventually I will exile you from the land. Exile is 
a picture of judgment to be removed from the presence of God. Remember, Adam and Eve were exiled from the promised land. Uh, There'd be light. Uh, They were exiled from the promised land. And it was the same with with, uh, God's people. Uh, Originally, or earlier on, the kingdom divided or split into two. The northern kingdom known as Israel and the southern kingdom known as Judah. The northern kingdom were more rebellious than the southern kingdom. And so they were sent into exile in in 722 BC. The Assyrians uh, invaded them. God raised up the Assyrians as we'll see in our text just now. But then in 586... The southern kingdom, Judah, had not learned their lesson and God raised up the Babylonians to, to conquer them and invade them. And he destroyed the, the temple, uh, the Babylonians did. Uh, and so they were in Babylon for uh, 70 years. And then God raised up a king called Cyrus. And Cyrus said, look, you guys can go back home. You can uh, rebuild the temple. I'll even fund it. It's quite an amazing example of a pagan king being used by God to build up the people of God. But the the nation, the the people of God had been devastated. They had lost everything. Uh, They had lost confidence in the Davidic line, in the kings. Uh, They had lost confidence in temple worship. They had lost their identity. They had been taken out of their land. They had been scattered. They had been oppressed. And so the chronicler writes to encourage them, to remind them that they are the people of God. And here he gives this genealogy to give them roots. That's the title for the sermon and that's the word for for children, the word of the day, roots. Okay, Uh, Roots, 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 roots. See if you can keep up with that. Uh, (laughs) uh, that's, That's what the chronicler is trying to do. Give them an identity. Who are they? Uh, maybe you've heard of that book called Roots. Alex Haley, his Pulitzer Prize winning novel. It's historic fiction. Uh, but as an African American, he, he wanted to find out what are his roots? Where does he come from? And in his book, he, he traces his lineage back to a man called Kunta Kinta in Gambia. And uh, it, it was a, a great success as a book because one understands a longing to find one's identity. Uh, how many of us, you know, started joining those Ancestry.com or, you know, trying to find out your ancestry, where do you come from, uh, you know, who are, who are my great-great-great-grandparents, how did they come to South Africa or uh, which tribe do I originally come from. You can even send away for DNA tests and they can tell you, you know, this is, you know, you have uh, Asian ancestry, 5% and Uh, North American, and all these kind of things. And people are fascinated by that, and it makes sense. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. It's a wonderful thing to try and find out where you come from. Of course, when you find that, you know, your family is littered with, you know, alcoholics and murderers, it's not so nice. Uh, But when you find out, wait, you know, I I have family, they say, well, all the way back, the King of England had an affair with this lady, and that's where we came from. (laughs) I'm like, well, I don't know if that's... Uh, that really counts. Uh, but ever since Adam and Eve were exiled from the Garden of Eden, every human being is born with that sense of restlessness. We are not rooted. That's why we try to find our identity in so many things. In our culture, in our ethnicity, in our family, in societies, in clubs, somewhere where we belong. Uh, it is not unique to certain individuals. It is part of 
our human makeup since the fall because we are not right with our Creator. It's nothing wrong with all of those things. But if you idolize those things, if that's your ultimate identity, that is, that is sinful. It cannot satisfy us. And so here the chronicler is trying to remind Israel they're broken. Uh, they've lost everything. Their towns and villages are in ruins. The temple has been destroyed. They've been humiliated. Once this great proud nation under David, and now they're nothing. Uh, and the chronicler is trying to encourage them to have confidence in the Davidic line. There is a Messiah who will come. Don't give up. You are the people of God. Rebuild the temple. Start worshipping again. And so, uh, incredibly relevant to us as well, to every generation, to find our identity in, in God. And maybe that's where you are right now. You, you, you're very aware of this feeling of, of, of things are not right. This is a word ennui, sort of restlessness. Just nothing satisfies. There's an article in the New York Times last year, uh, a man called Adam Grant. The title was, there's a name for the blah you're feeling. <laughs> it's called languishing. Okay. He says this, it wasn't burnout, we still had energy. It wasn't depression, we didn't feel hopeless. We just felt somewhat joyless and aimless. It turns out there's a name for that, languishing. Languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield. Is that how you feel? Uh, you don't know where to find identity, where to find uh, a sense of belonging and purpose. Well, as we go through the book of Chronicles, uh, you will find that if you submit to God's word. You will find it in Christ and in the people of God and what we are called to. So some lessons from the genealogies, these first nine chapters. Just two things up front before we look at a few passages. Uh, the first thing is that the, the tribes of Judah and Levi occupy the most space. The tribes of Judah and Levi occupy the most space. Now Judah is a tribe from which David comes. And there's a lot on David's genealogy and David's descendants. And that's because, again, as I said, the chronicler is trying to restore confidence in the Davidic line. Remember that it is through David that the Messiah will come. He will be the great, great grandson of David. But he will be greater than David uh, because he is also God. And so that's why David's and Judah's genealogy and descendants occupy such a prominent place. The Levites <coughs> of, uh, also have a prominent place because it's the Levites who are involved in temple worship. They are the ones who uh, sacrifice the animals from whom the priesthood comes, the gatekeepers come. The worship leaders come. We'll spend some time, a little bit of a detour, studying worship. Because worship is such an important part in the book of Chronicles. And so again, uh, many, many commentators believe that the Chronicler... We don't know who wrote Chronicles or who put it together. But many believe that he was a priest. Uh, whereas Samuel and Kings, written by prophets, we believe. And so there's this... This different emphasis on, on, on obedience to God and faithfulness of the kings. In Chronicles, there's a different emphasis to restore the temple, to restore worship to God. 
and so that's why the Levites have such a prominent place in the genealogies. So we see there uh, a focus on royalty, a focus on religion or worship, and uh, we've looked at roots, trying to give the people a sense of identity. And then the last one that we're going to spend a bit of time on is retribution. Retribution. Now, retribution, I uh, always understood it as negative, so sort of judgment. You know, you do something wrong and there is retribution, but it can be applied positively as well. You do something right and there are good consequences for, for right behavior. And the chronicler does something a little bit different. Uh, many times in Scripture, the consequences for Sin and the consequences for obedience are not immediate. They are delayed. Sometimes God will leave things for centuries and then come back to it. And I'm sure you've experienced that in your life. You know, don't we joke when someone says something that we, we think is not really the, the right thing to say? We say, let's you know, move away, you're going to be struck by lightning. But no one ever is struck by lightning, are they? Okay? And, well, you can come and tell me if you know someone who was. It doesn't work like that. Uh, we, we, we don't ordinarily find immediate consequences. You do something good and immediately things go well for you. Or you do something bad and immediately something terrible happens. I think we would sin a lot less if that was the case. Uh, but often sins that you commit in your childhood come back to haunt you decades later, don't they? Uh, God is just. We don't escape the consequences. But what the chronicler does is he focuses in on instant retribution. And so we're going to look, take a few little vignettes, a few little stories from the genealogy. So let me encourage you, as you read lists or genealogies, put in the hard work. It's like mining for gold. Okay? Um, if you've ever seen those videos where they go to rivers and they pan for gold, you know, it's a lot of work, a lot of rubbish, a lot of dirt that one has to go through before one gets gold. Now, the names are not rubbish. I'm not equating it to that. Uh, but they don't have as much meaning for us. But push through, even as we're going through Joshua and you read the different areas and maybe it, it doesn't mean too much. Look out for the little nuggets of gold. Don't give up. Don't just skip over lists and genealogies. Interspersed, you'll find little statements, little stories, little comments that are, that are pure gold, okay? that are lessons for us. So push through those things. Anything, anything worthwhile is always difficult. And so push through, don't give up. And so we're going to look at a few stories that show us this principle of instant retribution. And we're going to start off with negative, so judgment, negative, instant retribution. Maybe you've seen those YouTube videos, instant karma. You ever seen those? Um, I sort of quite enjoy them. <laughs> uh, you know, you'll see some guy driving recklessly like an idiot, and for a change, there's actually a traffic cop around, okay? And he gets pulled over and caught straight away. Uh, or else there's a bully who picks on some uh, small person, and unbeknownst to them, this person has a black belt in karate, and, you know, with one punch, the guy's flawed. And, and it's quite enjoyable because you're like, Yes. Uh, instant justice. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's encouraging to see that. Now, of course, I wouldn't want it for myself. 
And that's always the danger, that we always want justice when we're, we've been hurt, but we never want justice when we're the ones hurting others. Uh, but we're going to look at some stories in, in uh, Chronicles, in the genealogies that show us this principle, so that we will be awakened, we will be challenged. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, and he says this, he says, These things in the Old Testament took place as examples for us. Just one of the reasons why you should study the Old Testament is that it's examples for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. On whom the end of the ages are come. So there's the challenge. We should listen very carefully. Read these stories very carefully in the Old Testament. Because they are written for us. We are those who are living at the end of the ages. Uh, This period between Christ's first and second coming are the last days. That's what uh, John says in Revelation. This is the tribulation. This is the period. This is the last days. These things are written for our instruction. So let's learn some lessons. So you don't have to turn there. Uh, but you can if you, if you have it open. First Chronicles chapter 2, verse 3. And uh, it's under the genealogy of David. It says there, The sons of Judah, Ur, Onan, and Shelah, these three Bathsheba the Canaanite bore to him, now Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death. And then it carries on. That's all it says about him. Ur was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Okay. We don't know what he did exactly. If we read the law, uh, it was probably some form of idolatry. Um, because that was, was common that God would... Put people to death for idolatry. So we don't, we don't know. Uh, but we can clearly say his life was, was evil. Your translation may say wicked. Er was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord put him to death. That's, that's his epitaph. That's his life. That's what's written on his funeral stone. He was wicked in the sight of the Lord and the Lord put him to death. Now maybe that's That's where you're at right now. You're wicked in the sight of the Lord. You are not a believer. You know the gospel, but you're living as though God does not exist. You are rebelling. Notice it says, in the sight of the Lord. This is not some pagan off somewhere else. This is someone who knew. He lived in the sight of the Lord. He knew better. He was part of the line of Judah. Part of God's people. You're raised in a Christian home. You go to church from your... From your youth up. And yet you continue to live in a wicked way. You continue to follow idols. When we prayed this morning before the service. You don't know if this is, not, is your last day. You don't know that. Isn't that right? You don't know it. What if today is the day the Lord has given you opportunity to turn. And you refuse. Then your life will be. So-and-so was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put you to death. 
The Lord does that. Do you know that? This shows God's sovereignty. It's not that you just die from natural causes. God is in absolute control. You will die when God intends you to die. Did you know that? He is sovereign over life and death. People say, I take my own life. No, you didn't. God is in control of that. God is in absolute control of all of those things. May this not be the epitaph to your life. Today is the day of salvation, the prophets say. Don't put it off. Don't think, oh, well, I'll, I'll, you know, I just want to experience a few more things. I just want to uh, live a little bit longer and then see what happens. Because this might be what is written, what should be written on your funeral stone. Instant retribution. Continues a few verses later in verse 5. The sons of Perez and gives their names. Verse 7 says, the son of Carmi, Achan, the troubler of Israel who broke faith in the matter of the devoted thing. Uh, if, you, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know the story of, of uh, Israel conquering the Promised Land. You know the story of Jericho, the first city that they go to. And the Lord said, with this first city, you must burn everything. You are not to take anything. You're not to take any animals, any gold, any clothing. It is totally for destruction. Okay? But Achan doesn't listen, does he? He takes some clothes, some nice clothes, and some gold. You can imagine his reasoning. It's like, this seems a waste. You know, I'm sh- you know we've, we've burned most of it. I'm sure that's okay. I'm sure I just, if I just take a little bit. And he goes and he buries it in his tent. And Israel goes off to battle to the next city, to the city of Ai. And they think, well, this one will be much easier because it's a much smaller city. And they get defeated and people are killed. And the Lord exposes the reason why. It's because of the sin of Achan. That's why he's called the troubler of Israel. It's a title that was used of Ahab. Ahab was a very wicked king. And so here Achan is also called the troubler of Israel. What does that mean? It means that he brought trouble to the people of God. Your behavior, your sin can bring trouble to the people of God. And that's what it says here. Achan was a troubler of Israel who broke faith, was unfaithful. And this is a favorite term of the chronicler. This is the reason for judgment. Unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness. Not being faithful to God. Not perfection. But do you trust the Lord and seek to obey Him? Are you loyal to Him? Are you faithful to Him? Achan was not. It's not recorded here what happened because everyone would have known what happened. It was a well-known account. Achan and his whole family were stoned to death. Consequences of, of sin for unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness is the reason for the exile as well as we'll see. Chapter 5, verse 1. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel... So, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob is also called Israel. Uh, so when, you, when it says the firstborn of Israel, it's referring to Jacob. And remember, Jacob had all these sons. The firstborn was Reuben. In parenthesis, it says this, For he was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, 
His birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he could not be enrolled as the oldest son. He lost his birthright. It reminds us of, uh, of, of Jacob and Esau, doesn't it? Sold his birthright. He was born with all these privileges, the oldest, the firstborn, to Jacob. The people of God, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had all these privileges, all this pedigree, all this heritage. But he throws it away. And scripture tells us how he did that. He, was un- he, he went and slept at one of his father's concubines. He dishonored his father, disrespected him. And he sold his birthright. He lost his birthright. He lost his position. Now if you, if you again, if you're part of the people of God, you're, you've been baptized or you're growing up in the church, there's a birthright. There are privileges that you have received. The writer of Hebrews says that. You have incredible privileges. Just being, just being here this morning. You get to hear the gospel. You get to have the influence of salt and light in your life. How many millions, hundreds of millions of people today and maybe the rest of their lives, their whole lives will never even hear the gospel. Will grow up in pagan households. Worshipping idols. Thinking this is the way. Yet you have this privilege. It's wonderful privilege. But if you continue in unrepentant sin, it might come a point where it's taken away from you. You don't know if it's today or tomorrow. You don't know when it is. God is very gracious, isn't He? But there might come a time when that enough is enough. The writer of Hebrews says, trampled underfoot the blood of Christ. Is it tomorrow you say, I'm going to go back to pornography? And the Lord says, that's it. I've been patient with you for so many years. You despise it. I'm going to throw another temper tantrum. I'm going to restore that bitterness in my heart again. I'm going to continue with greed. The Lord says, no, that's it. I've been so patient, I've, I've been so good to you, and yet you, you despise all this goodness. And eventually that instant karma comes. Further on in chapter 5, talks about the tribe of Manasseh, the half-tribe of Manasseh. So uh, just again, if that's all confusing to you, don't, don't despair. Uh, Uh, Jacob had all these sons, but one of his sons was Joseph. And then Joseph, if you read lists, you won't find, you know, amongst the 12 tribes, you won't find the the tribe of Joseph. Uh, But you will find the half-tribe of Ephraim and the half-tribe of Manasseh. That's because those two sons of his took his place. Okay, So that's who it's talking about here, the half-tribe of Manasseh. It's one of Joseph's sons. And they, were, they lived in the land. They were very numerous, it says, verse 24. And it gives their names, heads of their father's houses. And it says they were mighty warriors, famous men. These were great men, mighty men. Verse 25, but they broke faith with the God of their fathers 
and whored after the gods of the peoples of the land, whom God had destroyed before them. So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, the spirit of Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and he took them into exile. This is their Assyrian exile of the northern kingdom in 722 BC. And it's saying, this is how it happened. These great men, all these privileges, they were strong, mighty men, had authority, had, had status. But what did they do? They broke faith. They were unfaithful. They whored after the, the gods of the land, the Canaanites' gods. They went after these false gods. Notice what it says. They whored after the gods of the peoples of the land whom God had destroyed before them. Isn't that amazing? God had already showed how useless these false gods were. How these false gods were impotent and could not save and could not satisfy. And yet they left the true and living God and went to these false gods. They returned to them. Peter says this, 2 Peter 2 verse 20. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. See what Peter says? So you've come, you've professed Christ. You started coming to church, joined a growth group, been baptized, started to put good patterns into place. And slowly you've seen deliverance from certain sins. You've seen their impotence. You've seen that they cannot satisfy. You've seen that money can't, can't satisfy the longings of your heart. Lust can't do that. Relationships can't do that. Uh, career can't do that. Looks can't do that. None of these things, these false gods cannot satisfy. You realize that. And then you go back to them. This is what Peter says. It would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment to deliver to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. You see, they went back. God had delivered them and then they went back. And God said, no, you will be judged for that. And he raised up these, these kings, the Assyrians, to conquer and exile the northern kingdoms. How do people end up going back? How, does it, how, do, we be, how do we return to the vomit? Because you will be tempted, isn't that right? If you're a, if you're a Christian, you know these things cannot satisfy and, and often the Lord gives us very great victories early on in our Christian life. Things fall away. Uh, whether it's a foul mouth or, or maybe a, a, you're, you're, you're living in sexual sin, whatever it is, is it, it falls away by God's grace. And then there's other things that you have to fight. Um, but as you fight and you, you use the means of grace, as you... Uh, Come under the sound of God's word as you take communion, as you're baptized, as you're in fellowship, as you're in small groups uh, and you're accountable. You start to see slowly but surely God gives you victory in these areas. You start to grow 
It doesn't mean you're not tempted. But sometimes there's seasons where those temptations are particularly great. If you go back, you're a dog returning to its vomit. That's what the scripture is saying. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11, verse 15. He's talking about uh, those that that God called and the the prophets and the great uh, people of God who persevered. Hebrews 11, this hall of faith. Uh, If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. If they had been thinking of, he's talking about those delivered out of Egypt. If they had been thinking about that, they would have found opportunity to go back. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The Christian life is all about what you think about. What are you filling your mind with? If you start going back on Facebook to those old relationships before you were a Christian, you start filling your mind with those things. It's all a lie. Do you remember how the, the Israelites remembered Egypt? It was a land, uh, it was full of leeks and garlics. Okay? They thought it was great. They forgot they were slaves. Okay? That's what how deceitful sin is. It, it, it makes us nostalgic. If we think about it, Sure, we had some good times before I was a Christian. Uh, sure, we used to have a lot of fun. Wow, there were some really nice people. You start to fill your mind with that. You will find opportunity to return to the vomit. To start getting drunk again. Start being sexually immoral. You, you will forget the horror and the bondage. The destruction the filth, the vomit. So what are you filling your mind with? Are you filling your mind with that, thinking back? Believing those lies? No. What what does it say? These people would not be in the book book of Hebrews if they thought like that. They would have just gone back and we wouldn't even know them. They would have that epitaph of uh, lived wickedly and God killed them. But what did they do? No. They desired a better country, a heavenly one. They looked forward to a new heaven and a new earth, pure. No more violence, no more injustice, no more temptation, nothing dirty and ugly and vile, nothing sordid. No more temptations ever to sin, only beauty and truth and goodness forever. In the presence of Christ. That's what we have to fill our minds with. Where am I going? What is beautiful and true and good? That's what, remember, that's what we heard last week, Philippians 4. Eh? Fill your minds with these things. Whatever is good and noble, honorable. Fill your mind with those things. As you do that, as you think on Christ and especially the gospel... You can't go back to that. The very things that caused the murder of Christ. How can you do that? How can you flirt with that? It's only because we allow our minds to go back there. And then there's opportunity to go back. And these guys did that. They saw the impotence of these false gods. And yet they went back to them. And God judged them. Well, those are the negative examples. And 
Um, my aim is that all of us uh, would be shaken. Uh, so often we think, you know, God is gracious. It's okay. It's okay. I'll just ask for forgiveness afterwards. I'll just carry on like that. God is gracious. But the scriptures are very clear that you can abuse his grace. You can take it for granted and then it is removed. And these passages are telling us that there can come a moment and you don't know if it's tomorrow, if it's the next day. You don't know. You think, I'll just return to the vomit this, this next time. May, it might be that that is the last time and God leaves you there. And that's what the chronicler is saying to Israel. Don't play games with sin. Remember what John Owen said? Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It's not your friend. Remember what the Lord said to to Cain. Sin is crouching at the door. What does it mean? It's crouching. It's little. Sometimes we think it's just little. It's not such a big deal. It's it's my pet. It wants you to think it's little. It's crouching. It's made itself small. But its desire is to rule you. And it is much stronger and greater than you. On your own, you will never defeat sin. Don't be deceived. But, good news now. (laughs) There is also instant blessing. As we obey the Lord. As we walk in His ways. The first account is chapter 4 verse 9. says this, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm, so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. It's a beautiful account. Uh, the only time that Jabez is mentioned, we don't know anything else about him. Uh, but, you know, what's going on here? Well, his name, Jabez, sounds like the Hebrew word for pain. Okay. And uh, so what happened is that his mother had a particularly painful birth. Okay. Uh, Jabez caused a lot of pain to his mother uh, during the the. the giving of birth. And she got her revenge uh, by calling him pain. Okay? Um, and you'll know in Scripture that names have, have a lot of meaning, don't they? Uh, often a person's name is indicative of their character or a marker of how, what will happen to them. Uh, and so we see Jacob is, sounds like usurper and he behaves like that. And so this, this man is called Pain, Jabez. And he comes to the Lord because he, he says, well, this, is this going to characterize my whole life? Is how, I, how my life started with pain, is that going to characterize my whole life? And remember, it wasn't even his fault. Okay? You know, it's not, I, I'm sure he wasn't sitting there, how, how much pain can I cause my mom? Uh, this was beyond his control, and yet he bears the consequences for his mom calling him pain. 
And you can imagine every time someone meets him, pain, okay, well, stay away from that guy. That's unlucky. Uh, that's, this guy is going to bring, wherever he goes, there's going to be trouble. And the scripture says he's more honorable than his brothers. Why? Because he goes to the one who can, can make things right. He goes to God in prayer. And he says to, to God, he asks God, please, may my life not be one that causes pain or is characterized by pain. He's asking for a change. I don't want the way I came into the world to characterize my whole life. See, there's another way he could have responded. He could have responded with bitterness, isn't that right? could have said, what? it wasn't even my fault. And yet I'm lumped with this name. Uh, people don't want to you know, be around me. They, they think I'm unlucky. I'm going to bring bad luck wherever I go. Things are going to go wrong. I didn't ask for this. How many people have you heard talk like that? Maybe you, you're talking like that right now. I didn't ask to be born. I didn't ask for this, these things in my life. How many people are atheists? You can go and search. So many people are atheists and the argument against Christianity is, is because of suffering. Because bad things happen to them that were unjust. And that's the reason they throw Christianity. That is a way one can respond. But Jabez is an honorable man. He doesn't respond like that. He goes to God and asks him to change things. Let me say one of the things that you and I are born with is original sin. We are born with original sin. In fact, this para, the, the way it's written reminds us of Genesis 3, verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. It's reminding us of the curse because of sin that has come upon all of us. And so you could become bitter. You could say, I didn't ask for this. Adam and Eve sinned. Why do I have to have all of these problems? You could respond like that. But also remember, you're also guilty of your own sin. But there is a better way you could respond. To cry out to the Lord. Say, Lord, I don't want... Sin to characterize my life. I don't want to come into the world with original sin and for sin to be the dominant feature of my life. Save me. Have mercy upon me. Change me. Deliver me from the consequences of sin. And you know what? Instant blessing will be yours. can guarantee that. You cry out to the Lord there in repentance and faith. It is not that the Lord will save you in a year's time or next week. If you cry out with sincere repentance and faith as you sit there, you will instantly be saved. It's a promise in God's word. All those that come to me, Lord Jesus said, he will never turn them away. I love that statement of Spurgeon. Where he says, the Lord will save you more quickly than you can even say the words. Instant blessing. As you sit there in, in your chair... You say, Lord, deliver me from the consequences of sin. I trust in what Christ has done. That he took the, my place. That he suffered in my stead. And he will save you. Next and last little story is in chapter 5, verse 18. 
the descendants of Gad. And uh, it talks about them there, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had these valiant men, and talks about they were expert in war. There were just, just under 45,000 of them that were able to go to war, and they waged war against the Hagrites, Jeter, Nafish, and Nodab. And when they prevailed over them, the Hagrites and all who were with them were given into their hands. Now, how come... How did they win this battle? For they cried out to God in the battle and he granted their urgent plea because they trusted him in him. And look at the victory. They carried off their livestock, 50,000 of their camels, 250,000 sheep, 2,000 donkeys and 100,000 men alive. For many fell because the war was of God. And so here you see again repetition, and it is a major theme for the chronicler. The efficacy, the power of prayer. And so did Jabez. Jabez prays to the Lord. Here, uh, these, the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, cry out to God in battle, and the Lord hears them and gives them victory. Instant blessing. And it's a great victory. And so they trusted in God. They cried out to God in, in battle. And God gave them victory. Now, how do we, as a lesson for us, how do we apply this to the New Testament? This is not to be taken to say, well, um, you know, if we, if we have to go to war or something like that, we can then say, Lord, uh, give us victory as we fight against your enemies or something like that. Uh, we're not called now to spread uh, God's, God's message or the gospel through the sword. It's through love. It's through serving that's how we spread it. So what fight are we called to? We are called, very clearly in the New Testament, to fight against sin. Okay, go and read Ephesians chapter 6 and uh, 2 Corinthians 10. You'll see this. We have a fight against wrong thinking. We have a fight against the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And they're, they're there. Uh, is that... Try and disciple our children as we see sin in them. Try and help them to fight sin. One of the first things to do is cry out to God. Pray. When you're tempted, when you're ready to blow, to lose your temper, what should you do? Cry out to the Lord. You're in a war. Do you realize that? I know that's the, the treachery of sin because it doesn't feel like you're in a war. Uh, Churchill said you're never more alive than when you've been shot at. Okay. Uh, if you're in a real war, you know you're in a real war. No one's sleeping while they've been shot at. Okay? Yet with sin, it's a real war, but we, we fall asleep, don't we? In the battle. Remember what Jesus said? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Okay? Uh, I don't know if you've noticed that. The harder the fight is, the weaker you feel. Okay? It's not that you feel more alive, more vigorous. You start to feel weaker and weaker. But you are in a war. Sin is out to destroy you. Satan hates you. Wants to destroy you. You're in a war. What must you do? First thing you must do. Cry out to the Lord. Lord help me. And God will give victory. 1 Corinthians 10 says. You will not be tempted above what you're able to bear. But with the temptation there is always a way of escape. You can never say. Well. 
You know, there was nothing I could do. No, there is always a way of escape. Cry out to the Lord, obey Him, and you will, you will overcome. You will be victorious. But you must cry out to Him. The victory belongs to the Lord. The war was of God. And God gives immediate victory as you cry out to Him. As you find that way of escape. That's the wonderful thing with sin. You can even see it in the life of Jesus. In the wilderness. Remember he's in the wilderness and Satan comes to him. Satan himself tempts Jesus in these incredible ways. And remember Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. He's not exactly physically strong. And uh, so you'll find that as well. When When you're down, you know what bullies do when you're down, they kick you? what Satan does. When you're already feeling down, he'll come. Uh, He'll get you when you're down and offer these temptations. This this will make you happy. Just a bit of gluttony. You'll feel great. Just another drink. Just an injection. Uh, This is is where you'll you'll find happiness. Contact that person again. That that, Sexual sin, switch on your computer, whatever it is. That's what he does. That's a war. But remember the Lord Jesus resists him. Get behind me. He, he, he quotes scripture. And then it says Satan left him for a season. And that's true. They come in waves. Don't think it will just continue indefinitely. Fight in that moment and you will see it will pass. Okay. God is gracious. He will give you that victory. Okay. Well, those are some passages, some stories from the genealogies. Hopefully whetted your appetite. You can go and find all the genealogies and read them. Uh, Luke has a, a, an important genealogy at the beginning of his gospel. So in conclusion, what is going on here? What is the chronicler trying to achieve He wants to establish the people of God. He goes through all the different tribes. Okay. He wants to say we're all the people of God. In fact, one of the chronicler's favorite phrases is all Israel. Right at the end of the genealogy, he says all Israel. And we're going to see that as the church, we are the Israel of God. We are God's people. Not that we replace ethnic Israel. But all the way through Scripture, there are the people of God, made up of Jew and Gentile. It doesn't matter your background. If you repent and put your trust in Christ, you are part of the true Israel of God. Listen to what Paul says to the Galatians. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Who are the true descendants of Abraham? All those who repent and put their trust in Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In Galatians 6, at the end, he says, he calls the church the Israel of God. So let me say to you, if you don't have a great ancestry, uh, my family and I, we're listening in the car, we're listening to the audible of uh, Long Walk to Freedom, Nelson Mandela's uh, autobiography. And so interesting to hear his background uh, coming from a royal family uh, and, and reading that and hearing that. And I'm listening to another audiobook called Transformed about a, 
a man who's, who's, who was a Nigerian prince, but everything was taken away and then he became a Navy SEAL, all of these things. But maybe you don't, you don't even know what your heritage is. You don't know, there's no princes, there's no kings, you don't know uh, where you come from. It's fine. If you're a child of God, you have something infinitely greater. You are part of the people of God. This genealogy is your genealogy. This story is your story. Now, you won't get, you're too late to have your name written in this, in this book. <laughs> but there's another book, isn't there? A Lamb's Book of Life. To be part of that, that lineage. To have your name there. You're completing Him. All those other things, praise God, they're wonderful. Our cultures, ethnicities, backgrounds, families. Praise God for those things. They're good things. And it's good to study it and enjoyable and all those things. But that cannot be your ultimate identity. It will not satisfy. You're a Christian. You are part of the people of God. You have this glorious history. You have the Lord Jesus Christ as your older brother. That's insane. Okay. <laughs> you have God as your father. Okay? Part of the family of God. And as we're going to study Chronicles, uh, we are called to something great, to build the kingdom of God. You want purpose and meaning in your life? There is no greater purpose. You start a company, praise God for that. It will end one day. Microsoft will not be around forever. You know, I'm sure there were big companies in Rome, big companies in Babylon. Where are they today? But the kingdom of God has continued and will continue forever and ever. So be part of something eternal and permanent. And we're going to be reminded of the glory of the Messiah, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, we, by God's grace, will have a wonderful time in the book of Chronicles. So go and read it in your own time. Uh, become familiar with it. If you're, if you're not yet part of this family, then today you can pass from death to life. Instant blessing if you cry out to him to have mercy upon you. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for your word, and uh, it, is, it is truly rich, full of treasure diamonds and gold and silver. Uh, even in obscure passages, even in difficult passages, there, there are wonderful truths to be mined. And so we thank you for Chronicles. We do ask that as we begin this study, you would work in a wonderful way that uh, all of us would find our ultimate identity and meaning in you, Lord. We would find our roots in your story, um, that we belong to you. If there are any who do not know you, Lord, please have mercy upon them. May they turn from darkness to light. And, oh, Lord, if there are any that are, are right on the verge, uh, if they return once more, it is the end. Oh, Lord, have mercy upon them. Give them grace uh, to not return to the vomit. Help them to fill their minds with the future and the good things that belong to the new heaven and new earth and that belong to your kingdom. Help them to think on the gospel, not to be deceived by the past and the lies of Satan. 
So please do this, Lord. And glorify yourself in Jesus' name. Amen.